Welcome to the Four Verticals Podcast, your home for all things football. Welcome to the Four Verticals Podcast. Today I'm joined by former Iowa and NFL quarterback Ricky Stanzi. Ricky, how are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing excellent. So I thought that we could just open up and you can maybe tell us a little bit of the background, how you got started in football and, uh, you know, what age you started and just, uh, you know, a general background of your youth football. For sure. So I started pretty young compared to what's uh, kind of changed in the landscape of football nowadays. I actually started playing ball in second grade. Uh, my dad always grew up loving the game. He always, you know, kind of uh, pushed us towards that sport. I grew up loving it. I loved watching uh, football from all levels, uh, specifically the Big Ten. Growing up, obviously, Ohio State fan. Loved watching Ohio State, Michigan, Northwestern, Iowa. Um, and then in the pros, I remember – I just like certain players. I remember watching the 49ers growing up uh, when Steve Young and Ricky Waters and Jerry Rice were there. Um, but always a fan of the game. Um, wanted to play for as long as I could since I was young. So I always kind of dreamed about playing in the NFL. So, um, yeah, it was something I, I worked towards, shoot, since I was in second grade. It was always kind of my number one sport. Um, also loved basketball. But football was definitely the game that I, um, I wanted to play for as long as I could. So uh, what age did you uh, start playing uh, in, like, youth leagues? And then did, have you always played quarterback, or was there a point where you transitioned maybe later on in high school or something? Yeah, I kind of uh, – so second grade was really the start. I bounced around position to position. Quarterback was always a position I was playing. Um, I did some running back, played some wide receiver, actually had a little stint at outside linebacker um, in high school, which is pretty funny because – uh, I'm the furthest thing from it, but, you know, a little bit of defense, safety and corner, and just kind of playing around uh, for really that first, you know, when I was young, I was kind of playing running back, and then I was a quarterback for the majority of, like, grade school. And then high school, I kind of bounced around, played some wide out, and that was where I played a little linebacker and uh, a little bit of safety and corner. But, you know, by my junior and senior year, obviously, it was it was full-time quarterback. Now, do you have any uh, specific maybe memories or uh, games in high school that uh, stood out for you? Uh, yeah, definitely. Um, I'd have to say my junior year, um, we were playing Archbishop Hoban, and I had kind of struggled a few games before. I was trying to; it was my first year starting. I was kind of trying to find my footing and, and and find my leadership and all those things. And that was kind of a breakout game for me. As a, uh, on a personal level. So it, that was a, a big game, I remember. And, you know, my, my senior year was awesome. Um, the group of guys that I went through high school with, we were really tight. Uh, we had a lot of great memories. We played in a lot of big games. Um, and I think our, you know, we had a, we had a victory against a really good Benedictine team that we had to beat twice a year. And we, we ended up beating them in the playoffs um, kind of down to the wire. And that was always a game that was a great memory too. So high school was high school was a blast. You know, played a lot of football, played a bunch of different positions, and had a lot of good guys that I was able to share those memories with. That's awesome. Uh, now moving a little bit past there, um, can you break walk me through maybe the recruiting process for you as a junior and a senior? How that kind of went for you? Some of the schools that you considered and how you ended up uh, eventually deciding on Iowa. Yeah, so um, junior year was when I kind of started, near the end there was where I kind of started to garner some interest. Um, it was mostly Mac schools at the beginning. Uh, Akron was my first offer. Um, and then that kind of 
open the gates a little bit, and I had a lot of different Mac schools. Um, the Big Ten was kind of, you know, there's only a couple schools interested. It was really Purdue, Michigan State, Iowa, and Ohio State, we talked a little bit, Indiana. So I was kind of, you know, had had an open dialogue with a lot of different coaches, but there was really only a few that were, you know, showing a lot of interest. And so I kind of narrowed it down to Miami of Ohio and Iowa near the end. And um, went to Miami of Ohio, absolutely loved it, um, you know, and, enjoyed the campus, enjoyed the, the, the coaching staff, and I, I liked what they what they were doing at that program. Um, and then when I went to Iowa, I was kind of like, yeah, this is, this was it. You know, I just trusted my gut. I always wanted to play in the big 10. So that was a, that was definitely a factor. Um, I loved the campus. I had, I, I loved the coaching staff. I mean, coach Ferentz, coach Doyle, coach O'Keefe, you know, that was coach O'Keefe was my recruiting coordinator and he ended up being my position coach and my O coordinator. So like he was there throughout the whole thing, which was one of the things that people kind of were trying to like, put in my head was, hey, Iowa's got this great coaching staff. It's, it's you know, Kirk Ferentz is ahead of it. He's got tons of NFL interest. He's probably going to jump ship and, and take his crew with him, and you're going to be sitting there, which they all, you know what I'm saying, because there's so much turnover in college that it's easy to get caught in a situation where you come in and then your guys leave. So what was interesting, when it, kind of when all the dust settled, looking back, Iowa's had one of the longest tenures of all time with Coach Ferentz being there, especially the guys that I've uh, – uh, kind of went through this with, um, they haven't budged. You know, they've been the same. Whereas all the other schools that I was interested in, they had tons of turnover. So from that standpoint, um, you know, Coach Ferentz was, he was loyal to his word. He told us then he was going to be there for a long time, and he, and he still is. So um, it really came down to wanting to play in the Big Ten. I liked that atmosphere. And then Coach Ferentz really sold it for me. Yeah, no, I know Big Ten is obviously one of the most prestigious football conferences and uh, it's definitely a big deal to a lot of guys coming out of high school to know that you enter your freshman year that the same guys are going to be around you your senior year and you're not going to have to relearn systems and kind of change philosophies and mentalities. Yeah, that was that was huge for me, especially I was a guy, I, I needed the reps. You know, I needed to kind of spend time in the offense and get to know the intricacies of it. Um, there was a lot on the quarterback's plate at Iowa as far as run game checks and getting us into better looks. So um, it took me time to understand that offense. So, you know, that's tough for a young athlete if, if they get kind of the, the floor, you know, or the rug swept up from underneath them. When they've spent two years learning an offense, now they got to ditch that and they got to learn a new one. I saw that at the next level in the NFL. Um, it's difficult to do. So that was a huge thing for me to have consistency at college, which is what I needed. Yeah, no, it definitely uh, makes it a lot easier when uh, all the outside factors are, you know, not budging in too much and you have the consistency where you're able to actually develop yourself. Absolutely. So uh, if you, during your time at Iowa, what would you say would have been the biggest obstacle or roadblock throughout your time? What was a moment maybe where, you know, you kind of had to gut check or reevaluate and ended up maybe coming out a better individual from it? Man, the first the first two years, you know, they, they weren't easy. Um, trying to kind of adjust to not only being at college and, and, and that whole, you know, difference in workload from having to take care of yourself and figure that one out, to actually, you know, learning this offense, playing under center, knowing how to run the uh, how to how to operate the, the run game and get us into the right looks and um, being able to make the throws developing my body to a point where I could have the strength to go out there and, and play against these guys and make these throws and, and work the footwork. Man, I, the first year there, I, 
I couldn't see the field with a telescope. I mean, I was I felt so far away from the field from a standpoint of like talent level. Um, it was a huge jump for me from from high school to pro, from high school to college. So um, the first year was absolutely an adjustment year. It started to slow down for me near the second year. Um, that was kind of when I moved into more of a backup role, and I started to kind of understand the game plan better. Started to, have to develop a routine. Um, and there was, you know, there was a point where there was a few guys ahead of me and I kind of had, you know, I had the discussion with my dad where he was kind of throwing out the idea of, you know, maybe transferring. And I was like, there's no way, you know, I'm not, I'm not doing that. I, I'm staying here. I'm seeing this through to the end. I'm going to figure it out. Um, and, you know, lucky for me, things did eventually work out in my favor. Um, but that, you know, goes into having consistency, having spent time in the same offense and really understanding the lingo and, and, and sort of what we're trying to do. That really helped me um, by year three to kind of finally make that jump and, and get to the field. So tell me, once you did uh, make that jump, uh, what was the first game that you started? What were some of the emotions you maybe were feeling, and how did uh, it end up for you? The first game was, uh, you know, the first couple games out the gate are always kind of, you know, like I hate saying tune-up games, but they really are what, are, are what they are at that point. And so we had, I think it was Florida International, I believe it was, that I um, but started for that game, had a really good first half, really good first half. was like through like three touchdowns. I was like, I, I didn't even know what was going on. I was like, it was like a pinch me moment. I was like, I'm on the Big Ten. You know, I'm, I'm playing ball. Like I, like I told you two years ago, I couldn't see the field with a telescope. So <laughs> a lot of it came kind of, you know, quickly. And then the next game, I believe, was Iowa State. Don't quote me on that, but I struggled. Like I struggled bad, and I, I, I got yanked. And so I kind of had this, like, really high, really high moment where I did really well against Florida International, and then, like, two games later, I was struggling against, you know, Iowa State, and I got yanked. So then we kind of – me and the other guy kind of went back and forth, and then it finally kind of settled on me. That was Northwestern game was when I finally was, you know, the starter and was like, okay, coach was like, Rick, this is your gig. Run with it. You know, I'm not going to play this flip-flop game um, with you with you and Jake. So – um, yeah, the, the third year still had some rocky moments at the beginning, right? We, we kind of struggled a little bit, lost our footing as a team, and then we got it going and we made a run near the end. And, um, those last, that second half of the 2008 season definitely set us up for 2009 and the Orange Bowl and, and, and everything that we had accomplished that year. So, um, yeah, for me, it was surreal to be honest with you, to get to the field and to be able to from my first year, what seemed like so far away to actually be a starter and run the operation to kind of really get to play for three years and start for three years was, was a huge blessing and so many great memories from it. So many great friends that, you know, you make along the way and, and you get to share those memories and stories with. Well, speaking of friends, do you have any uh, specific teammates from uh, your college days that, you know, you had a really good relationship either on the field or off the field that stick out to you? Yes, absolutely. You know, I still stay in contact with so many guys. Um, you know, my roommates and I are still very close. Um, we'll, we'll kind of, uh, we'll try to get together once a year and do kind of like a, a golf trip vacation. Um, you know, my, my buddy AJ Eads, he played linebacker. He came out, we came in at the same time, but I redshirted. So he left, you know, just a year before me, but we were roommates all the way through. Brett Morse, um, Jeff Tarpinian, um, me and Darrell talk a lot. Uh, you know, we have, there's so many memories there that you kind of, um, you have those moments with those guys because you were all going through it together. 
you know, you struggled together and, and you were kind of triumphant and you won together. So, um, those, those are memories that, um, that last a lifetime. And, you know, another close buddy of mine, Tony Moyaki, we actually were close at Iowa and then we got to play in the pros together at Kansas City, which was really cool. Um, and then kind of get to see a couple of buddies down the road in the NFL. Um, was, was a blast too. So yeah, definitely stay in touch with those guys. We actually just went back last year for our, um, Orange Bowl reunion, which was really cool to see everybody from that team and kind of, and celebrate those memories. You know, and you said that you, uh, met up in the pros. That's gotta be a real rewarding moment to be able to, you know, go through all those hard practices and conditionings and workouts and be able to make it to the big stage together. Oh, it's hilarious. Yeah. We laugh about it still. It's, it's funny. You know, it's, it's, we, we went through some some of those funny times together where we would both all of us would laugh about you know not not Tony or AJ they were studs but uh, Brett and Jeff and I would always laugh because we felt like we're not seeing the field like <laughs> we we were the guys with the telescope far away so like but AJ and Tony were studs so when we kind of finally got to all play together that was really cool it was really cool for our families you know they every weekend they were they were wherever we were whether it was in Iowa City or was on the road and. Um, they became close, so it was it was a really cool time. A lot of great memories. So, um, building off of you uh, spending your red shirt and some of your early years um, on the sideline, kind of learning, what kept you motivated, even though you weren't yourself on the fields making the plays? What kept you um, and your love of the game going during that time? You know, I mean, those are the moments where you do fall back on the love of the game, right? Because you know, it's that's kind of all you have to to kind of keep pushing you. You know you want to get better. You know, sometimes it doesn't happen as fast as you'd like it to. Um, but the, the love of the game is always what's driving you. You know, it, ha- it really has to be in those moments because otherwise it's very easy to deflect. It's very easy to point fingers. It's very easy to kind of put blame on the other side of the table. But in reality, those are the gut check moments where you got to just, hey, figure it out. You know, <laughs> this is on you. Like, you want to play ball? Then go figure it out. Learn the offense. Do the work spend the extra time, get better at the things that you suck at, know that you suck at something and get better at it, right? Admit that those things are real. You have your weaknesses. You have things you need to address. Take that constructive criticism and then go do something about it, right? Go make a change. Go get better at that skill and then go try it again and try to compete for your... So for me, I was always a look in the mirror, dude. It was always like, what are you doing wrong? Like, don't point fingers because you ain't figured it out yet. You can't hit that. If you can't hit that out route blindfolded, you don't have it. So, you know, I always kind of took it on myself to look in the mirror and figure out what I was doing poorly and then get better at it. So there was plenty there <laughs> that I had to focus on, so I couldn't really think about anything else. So for me, it was just, you know, chop wood, carry water, and we'll see what the next day brings. Yeah, no, like you said, you definitely do have to have the love for the game in those down moments, knowing that you're going to build off yourself and that the payoff will come if you just keep working hard. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it, it gets better. You know, there's always those days that suck. I mean, in those days, you still have those days even when you are the starter. You know, when I, 2009, your Orange Bowl year, we had about as many ridiculous games as you could. I mean, the one that always stands out, and I always talk about because it's funny, it's funny now, it wasn't so funny then, was the five-interception game before the fourth quarter against Indiana at home, which we ended up coming back and winning, which is the most bizarre game ever. Um, but yeah, like you're going to have those moments. I mean, you're going to have, for me, those moments happened. And I think the moments beforehand behind the scenes that nobody saw of the, you know, you have a crappy practice and you know that it's on you. 
and you got to dig yourself out of it for tomorrow, those things do show up, I think, when you're on the national stage and when you have the camera showing and you do kind of have to gut check yourself in the moment of the game because something happened that you didn't like, whether it was, you know, your fault or not. It doesn't matter. It happened. And now you got to recover. So going through adversity, being able to be mentally tough, that was huge um, part of what Coach Ferentz, Coach Doyle tried to instill in us was like, this is not going to be easy. You have to have mental toughness and you can't be scared to make a mistake. You got to go play. You got to let it hang out. So, um, you know, that was a, was a huge part of what made our teams good at Iowa was having that mental resolve and, and not being afraid to make a mistake. And if something does happen that we don't like, we're able to bounce back. Oh, yeah, I know Iowa definitely has the reputation of toughness, some guys you don't want to line up against. And no matter how talented, you know that they're going to go out there every single year and punch you right in the face. Right, yeah, that's the mentality. I mean, that's the, that's the, that's the whole game. Our front sevens, when, when I was playing, were outstanding. I mean, that's what, that was the backbone of our team. Our, 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 our run game, when we had Sean Green, um, you know, Coach Ferentz and his reputation with the O-line uh, is don't even need to talk about it. It just he, it speaks for itself. The guys he's put in the NFL and the product that he puts out um, year after year at Iowa, and then the defensive line and our linebackers, our whole defense was outstanding. You know, uh, 2008, 2009. That's who we leaned on um, in the run game, and it, it made my job a lot easier. Um, but that type of football is really what's needed to win, or was what needed what well, what was needed to win in the Big Ten in those in those years. We had to have that to be able to, to hang in there for those four quarters. Like I said, I don't remember a game that was really, you know, a runaway. We had to, we had to battle for four quarters the majority of the time. Uh, so during uh, your playing days and um, as you developed, was there a specific guy maybe in the NFL that you kind of looked at him and you're like, have a similar frame and, or a similar play style that you tried to model yourself after? You know, I always – uh, tried to be a student of the game since I was young, all the way up till my last days playing uh, in the pros. I was always trying to, what do you know? Find out what are the best do, and then try to emulate that. So I was looking at everybody. You know, obviously the first guy that that pops into mind is is Tom Brady, um, Matt Ryan, Joe Flacco, uh, guys that were a little bit wa- more wiry <laughs> and had to use their their arms and their brains to kind of outsmart people um, and, and get the ball to where they wanted it and, and be accurate. So, and, but not only that, Joe Montana, Dan Marino, Aaron Rodgers, Drew, all these guys play a role. Um, they all influence you in some way or another, you know, whether it's, you know, everybody has guys that they relate to, but you can learn from everyone. You know, you can really learn from, from all these quarterbacks. They all do so many great things similar, and then they have their little nuances to their game that you can sort of start to pick up on by watching film. So outside of trying to watch or, you know, having to watch and, and needing to watch our own opponents and do our, doing our own self-scout, I would try to watch, you know, Tom Brady. I would try to watch Flacco, uh, try to watch Matt Ryan, try to see some of the things that they were doing with their feet, um, doing with their eyes, doing with, you know, whatever they were doing at the time to try to give them an advantage. You try to pick up on those things, you know, watching the tape. Yeah, no, there's definitely something you can learn from all of those outstanding. Every single guy's brings something different or exceptional that, you know, you can try and piece it together. Um, so I'd want to move in uh, to something I'm, I know you've talked about several times and it's kind of a famous moment for you, but after the Orange Bowl, 
um, you gave a speech. Uh, do you want to just uh, talk to us about that? Yeah. Well, it's funny because nowadays people like you gave a speech. When really it was, I was, I was asked a question, and it was a crazy question because he was like, you know, you're from middle America. You know, what's it, it was kind of like, what's it like to be from the Midwest and beat a team from the South? I think that's where he was going with it. And I was kind of like, I didn't really play into that. I was, you know, I, I never saw it that way. Every, every college team is, is, is clawing and fighting to win as many games as possible. I don't care what corner of America you're in. Everybody's doing the same thing. So I think some of those reputations are legit of, you know, certain conferences and certain areas having a certain style of football. But for me at the time, I wasn't even ready to, I was too excited with joy that we just won. So I didn't have a deep answer for him on the national stage. So I just kind of turned it into a Ricky Bobby moment of, you know, if you don't love it, leave it. USA number one. And you could see on the tape, I turned around because my boys were in the front row. And I pointed at him and I was laughing. I was like, can you believe I just said that <laughs> on TV? And so um, it was a fun moment. I mean, it, a lot of cool stuff came from it. People were fired up. They ran with it. There were T-shirts and everybody. I still get the people, you know, hit me up with that saying online today. So it was cool. It was a fun moment. Um, you know, it was a it was a great memory to an already great memory, the Orange Bowl, and, and that whole season and how cool that season was for us as a group of guys and as a team. Um, and so that, that was just a little cherry on top. Yeah, I know as a kid myself from the Midwest, it's pretty inspiring to see something like that and a group of guys rally together and put on a performance. Yeah, I think that, you know, there was um, – we always felt like we had something to prove. You know, Iowa, we, we had that underdog mentality in 2009, no doubt. Like, no doubt we had that mentality. Nobody's counting us, you know, nobody's giving us a chance. And that we were so, we were perfectly suited for that. And so we loved it. And so we kind of had that as a rallying cry throughout the year. But we never got past that one week at a time mentality. You know, it was always just one week at a time, one week at a time. And then once you finally get to, you know, the dust settles and you, and you, and you win a big game like that, it was really cool. It was surreal. So uh, talk to us a little bit about um, moving past then uh, a little bit, maybe about how the, uh, the combine, the senior bowl, and then leading up into, you know, the draft, how did that experience went for you? Yeah. I mean, it was a, it was a heck of an experience. I remember I had a buddy who's like, I'm grateful that I went through it because it's a dream come true. But at the end of it, I was like, I don't want to do that again. Like it was a stressful yeah. time. Um, we had kind of ended our, we ended my, our, my senior year, we ended with a skit. We thought we, you know, we won our bowl game, we won the insight bowl, but we didn't finish out the season very well. And so I knew I was going to have to answer those questions. Um, I also felt like I was struggling there at the end of the season. So I was kind of, I was missing from a mechanical standpoint and I knew that going into the draft. And so that was part of the, you know, anxiety of going through the draft process of, dude, I got to go showcase my stuff, but I feel like I'm hitting a uh, something's kind of going on with my mechanics right now. And that kind of led me into studying mechanics more, which, you know, decade down the road leads me to what I'm doing now, being a movement coach. But at that time, that process, I remember that trying to fine tune the mechanics, trying to, you know, kind of um, find another level of movement capacity, right? Find another gear almost. Um, and I definitely being the kind of guy I am, my, you know, my dad's called Captain Overkill. I'm called Captain Overkill Jr. I definitely probably had moments and uh, paralysis by analysis and played that, you know, I should have just let myself be as natural as I could at that moment. But I kind of went taking a deep dive on mechanics 
and it definitely kind of messed me up as far as the fundamentals go at the combine. Um, the one thing that I, I remembered, you know, performing very well at was the mental side of it. Like the Wonderlick went fine. All the interviews were great. I, I, I knew the game. Coach O'Keefe had me ready. Coach Ferentz had me ready. Um, I understood how to speak the lingo that the NFL wanted to hear. I really understood the run game, like I talked about earlier, knowing how to get people, get us out of a bad run into a good run. So the, the mentality and the, um, sort of the, the offense that we ran at Iowa was very good, uh, sort of mirroring up to what was going on at the NFL at that time, right? So I, I did great in the mental part, but my, my physical part was still kind of lacking, right? You know, and that kind of was the, the thing I heard from a lot of the scouts was, you know, has a good mental side, has a good character, all those things, but we need to, you need to mature. I need to play faster. That was the thing I heard. Get get the ball faster. And I'm like, man, <laughs> I'm trying, dude. I'm trying. I'm trying to get this thing out of my hand. It feels like you know it's got grease on it. So there was, you know, there was a struggle there at the beginning, and that I definitely felt that um, kind of in ebbs and flows throughout my my career in the pros. Never consistent. Never consistent. And that was what you know. I had moments where I played well, and then moments where I couldn't find it. And you cannot do that at that level. There's just not enough time. They don't have enough patience for that. There's certainly not enough reps, especially when you come in as a fifth round QB. You're not, you know, you gotta, you gotta be, you gotta be money. You gotta be really dialed in. You gotta be super accurate and consistent. So um, that kind of phase of, you know, prep and combine and senior bowl, very cool because I was going through that process of becoming a pro, but also a lot of anxiety. You don't know where you're going to fall. You're trying to figure out, you know, uh, your own throwing motion and stuff like that. You're trying to, you know, elevate your draft stock and do really well in interviews. So it was a, um, it was an interesting time. I, I, I don't need to go back and do it again, <laughs> but it was a cool experience. It was a cool experience. I learned a lot from it. And I'm sure um, an awesome moment for you was uh, when you got to hear your name called. What, what was some of the feelings that were going through your head when that happened? Yeah, very surreal, very surreal. Um, you know, like, kind of like I said, I was kind of prepared for whatever. I, I had no idea where I would – I was told by many that I was going to be drafted, so I kind of assumed that. I didn't know where, maybe three to five, probably on the back end of that, and that's really where it was. Um, it was crazy because the Cardinals called, and I was on the phone with them, and like, hey, hold on, we got you in two picks. And then the Chiefs called – while I was on the phone with the Cardinals and the Chiefs had that next pick. And so they took me. Um, and that was pretty cool for a couple of reasons. Um, first off, Kansas City, not too far from home, not too far from the Midwest. But then my buddy Tony Mo, Tony Moyaki was on the Chiefs. So that was really cool to like have somebody that I knew going into it. Um, not only that, it was like the CBA year. So we didn't really have an off season. So yeah. we kind of, we had these like kind of like makeshift workouts type deal and to at least have somebody to go to Kansas City with and hang out with. Um, and have somewhere to stay and be able to meet meet the guys on the team. It was nice to have Tony there um, through the transition. So I, I was fired up about going to Kansas City, um, just happy to be drafted, happy the process was over, and I was ready to get started. You know, um, so can you tell me a little bit um, of, you know, what uh, – break down a little bit of your NFL career and stuff, you know, being in the locker room, um, the difference between – playing in college in the NFL, I know it's a lot faster, a lot uh, a lot of change, but can you kind of fill us in on how that went? Yeah, so, you know, I, I think each level, um, just speaking for myself, each level I felt that speed change. I mean, I felt the speed change from eighth grade to ninth grade. Yeah. <laughs> when I got from eighth grade to the high school level, I was like, whoa, these dudes are flying. 
And then I got to high school and college. I'm like, oh, my gosh, there's no way. I need a telescope. I can't see the field. Pros was the same way. Like I said, I was, I was already in this phase of trying to figure out your mechanics. You try to figure out your mechanics when you got these dudes, you got 300-pounders that are even faster than they were at the level before, and they're running at you. Um, once again, I, I had some success. Early on, I had a, I had a decent uh, preseason game. I had you know a couple games that I struggled in to kind of find it, but um, the environment, you know, the kind of the, the mentality we had at Iowa was you know get here, do your job, don't complain. <laughs> that was what yeah. we did. Like, do do your job, stop crying about it. Like just do your job. So the pros is very much that. Like nobody nobody cares about your little problems or this or that. They can cut you. They can get rid of you the next day. So you go there, you do your work, and then you leave. And so I love that part of it. It was very, it was an easy transition from college to pros because in college they weren't holding our hands, and in pros they're not either. So you got to know what you need to do, and then you got to work at it. Um, so that that was you know an easy transition for me, as far as kind of adjusting to the locker room and adjusting to those demands. Um, learning a new offense was you know that wasn't something that was a Terrible difficulty because, like I said, we had a lot on our plate at Iowa. We really did as quarterbacks. And so that kind of had me prepared. For me, it was just struggling to catch my body up to the speed of the game. That was the part where I struggled and got frustrated. And so that was something that I always had to keep on working at. Um, but being in locker rooms, being able to travel, being able to move to new cities and meet new people and hear new stories, that part of the NFL is what I cherish. Those memories are awesome. Um, and you got so many guys that you're going through it with. So many guys that are, you know, for me, I was battling just to get on the roster, you know. And so for me, down there at the bottom of the bubble, there's a lot of guys you can re that relate to that. And so you're going through that together. You know, you're you're in these you're in these cities. You're you know you're you're single. You're able to bounce around. You're having fun. You're 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 living the dream. You're basically a college kid, and but you got some money now. You know, me and my wife, my 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 fiance at the time, we were just you know young kids with some money. We finally got we were out in the city. We were in Kansas City. It was perfect. It was beautiful. So we, I really enjoyed that stuff. I loved living in Jacksonville. Um, we, we met a lot of great people that lived in the neighborhood that we were staying at. So those were the moments um, that I really cherished playing the pros because I got to meet so many cool people and go to some really cool cities. Yeah, that's awesome. And I know that you um, touched on it a little bit before, but I'd like to get a little more into it. When you were talking about in the combine and talking about the mechanics and uh, leading up to uh, what you do now, can you fill us in a little bit more on? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I, I kind of, you know, I, w I was always somebody who was interested in the throwing motion, not maybe to the detail of it, but I loved watching the great quarterbacks throw. I always wondered, I'm like, well, what makes Elway throw it the way he throws? What makes Marino do what he does? Why does Rodgers look like this? Why does So I was always curious as to how the movement went down. Um and then in 2011, I believe it was, yes, because that was the first year, I, got to, I finally got my own computer, my own, like, you know, computer to watch tape. Nowadays, you can do all this stuff on iPad, but, like, I feel like an old-timer saying that I had to buy a computer with, like, a cowboy remote. But that was really what it was. I bought this computer that was just dedicated to my film studies, right? And so I had this computer that I would watch um, uh, tape on. I'd watch any NFL tape I could get my hands on, I was I had it downloaded on there. It was pretty cool because you got your own, you got your video guys, obviously, um, and and you just go in there and say, hey, can you find me this, this, and this, and throw it on there? And they would. So I was able to the first couple of years just really look at throwing motions. Now I didn't know what to do with it. I had no idea what I was really looking at. I was kind of 
trying to piece it together, but have no had no really underpinning, had no real blueprint to kind of work off of to see what was good, what was bad, what was going on in my own body that I struggled with. So I that kept evolving for me, right? That was something I just kept kind of peeling back layer by layer. Um, different things, you know, different setbacks would kind of lead me down a new path. I was always looking at the movement training and the the curiosity towards um, human movement with really the the background of I'm just trying to stay on a roster. I'm trying to fix my own body to make myself feel free and liberated to move how I want to move on the field. So it was always kind of rooted in that. But as it evolved and as I kind of just kept rolling with it, it became my passion. And, you know, eventually when ball was done, I, I finally was finished up in, in in the CFL. I've been looking at movement for about eight, nine years. So, once I started kind of, there was a couple books, Spinal Engine and uh, Muscles and Meridians. Those are always, you know, those are the two books I like to point people in the direction of. Once I started looking at those and seeing that, hey, I think there's more to this movement stuff than what's really out there in the mainstream, I found a guy, uh, Coach Gilly, Jose Bosch, who he had, you know, basically, you know, discovered, you could say, uh, a movement system. And he called it GOTA. And so he built this system using slow motion technology to watch the indigenous people, the hunter-gatherers of the world move. And so because he was always, he was a, somebody who was wrecked. He had, you know, three levels of uh, degenerated disc at his low back. So he was somebody who was searching for that answer too. And he had turned to the slow motion, which was something I had been doing my whole life watching tape, you know, inadvertently. And he was looking at it from a pure movement standpoint of, hey, how's the body supposed to move out in the wild in its natural setting? So he started studying the indigenous for hours on end, watching them frame by frame in slow motion. Then he started to kind of look at, or what he really noticed was he saw a video of Michael Jordan walking. And he's like, hold up, let me see something. He put his iPad up to the TV and he scraped the video and he went back and he looked at it and he goes, oh my gosh. He's like, Michael Jordan's doing with his knee what the indigenous are doing with their knee. And I don't see it being taught anywhere in the gyms. Nobody's doing this move, right? The move we would call bow and corner. So his sort of methodology came from the slow motion video, which I was so well versed in. I had been spending my whole life watching slow motion video as a football player. So when I started talking to him and, and picking his brain about movement, I was like, oh, this is it. This is what I've been looking for for nine years. This is what I've been searching for, the, the, the key to movement, right? It's all based in spirals. It's all based in moving energy around a corner. And the people that do it the best are the ones that were left to nature to, to, to move and live the way we were originally designed, which is the hunter-gatherers. So once we started, you know, talking, and one thing led to the next, you know, I just eventually I'm at this point now where I'm a coach in the system, and I kind of, um, you know, help teach this to other other people that are interested in the system. So it's been kind of a long, a long road of studying movement, but um, man, I couldn't be happier to, to teach this system, and and um, it's something that I absolutely love, and and I can't put it down. Yeah, no, I've uh, I've checked some of the stuff out that you've uh, done, and I know a lot of it goes over my head a little bit with the very precision movements and angles and stuff. But it's it's very awesome and interesting to see. Yeah, I think it. You know, that that's the trouble with social media is you're trying to convey a message and you're trying to convey it quickly. You know, we've tried to do a better job of putting information on IGTV and YouTube where you can kind of expand on some concepts, you get more time to kind of talk about some things. So, um, but the reality is that it's quite simple. We, you know, you can boil it down to 
all energy is moving in a spiral. And so movement happens the same way. And so, you know, we're basically um, a rear-wheel drive propulsion system, and it's comprised of rotary joints that are wrapped in this rubber band fascia. And when you, when you move in a spiral, you load up that fascia, and you load it up correctly, and then you're able to move that energy in a way that is not only fluid, but it keeps you durable. And that's kind of the underpinning of what GOTA is, is it's a security system. It's a connected tissue joint segment security system. So there is a proper way to move forward through space that is going to keep your connected tissue healthy and your joint segments healthy for a lifetime. I mean, Mother Nature wouldn't design your connected tissue to last 110, 120 years and then make it break down at age 50. There's no, there's no chiropractors on the savannah. There's no orthopedic surgeons in the rainforest. You know, Mother Nature does not deal in inefficiency. So you're not going to blow your knee out or need a hip replacement if you're a tribe in the rainforest because you're always going to move the way you were designed because you're not being subjected to modern sedentary lifestyle. You're not being subjected to poor footwear, poor chairs, poor resting options, and then poor training that has a crappy blueprint. The blueprint of training is muscles and lines. The reality is when you put on slow motion video, it's all spirals. It's all energy moving around a corner. The ankle is a rotary joint. The hip, the spine, the shoulder, all rotary joints. So it's all energy moving in a spiral fashion. And that's how you become explosively fluid and endurance durable. So that's, that's what we're rooted in. Um, and, and we try to get that message across. But, you know, we're always trying to find ways to, to keep it simple so that, that, that everybody can eventually benefit from it and not have to get that joint replacement or that athlete not have to go through that, that non-contact catastrophic ACL or Achilles. Oh, absolutely. And I, like I said, uh, it's a absolutely great thing. And I hope that it becomes more um, readily known and available to all trainers. So that way, you know, some of these guys don't, you know, can spare themselves a unneeded injury. Oh, it's so avoidable. It, it, or... it kills us. Yeah, it's so avoidable. These guys, I mean, we see it every year, these guys that come out in the draft and these young guns and people, what do you think about this guy? I'm like, well, I just, he's not, his, his movement is insecure. He's going to have knee trouble. He's going to have hamstring trouble. Um, I think people are don't like that we're able to predict it, but that is the fact is that you want to get to the point where you can predict it. The whole point is prevention. You know, predict and prevent the injury from happening. We're very good in this country at, at bandaging boo-boos. But what about fixing the, it before it ever becomes a boo-boo, right? What about actually yeah. stopping the injury from ever happening, right? We can do that now, right? We have the system in place to do it. Um, we're just at that point of, like you said, getting that message across to the masses. Yeah, well, I, I believe, uh, you know, you guys I've seen have some great guys on your team, and I'm sure in the coming years that, you know, hopefully we can get this out and, you know, to some high school guys and college guys and be able to work on the forms and stuff. I have a friend personally who's torn his ACL multiple times, and I'm sure some stuff like this could have helped. Yeah, that's the thing. I think, you know, anybody that's close to sports has a story or two, you know. I mean, you've got a friend. I've got a bunch of buddies who struggle with, you know, ACL and, and Achilles. And it's not just that, too. You know, it's, it's, I think people see those as sort of a cash cows when we're talking about movement, but it's also all the chronic pain. You know, that's, that's oh, yeah. the underlying what we would call WODA, is it's all the itises, right, the, the shin splints, the plantar fasciitis, the tendonitis of the knee and the hip. and the, Those things that are unexplained and they just won't go away, that's WODA. 
It's also low to when you tear your ACL and your Achilles and nobody's around, you just put your foot in the ground. You know, it's also low to, to need a joint replacement at the age of 56. So if we can prevent these things by being able to screen, assess, and predict somebody's sort of injury risk, you can look at that athlete and say, hey, man, you got a high risk of injury. We need to recode your movement behavior. We don't need to get your squat max up. We don't need to teach you hand cleans. We need to fix the way you're landing, absorbing, and leaving Mother Earth. That's what we need to fix. The way you land, load, and leave is what we need to pay attention to with these young athletes. It's Heck, it's what we need to pay attention to with the pro athletes, right? Like these guys do not need to be power lifters and Olympic lifters. They need to be movers. They need, if you ask any coach, you say, hey, do, I, do you want the strongest guy in the weight room or do you want the best mover? The coach is going to tell you, I want the best mover. Give me somebody who moves well. They may not even know what the hell that means, but they know it when they see it because it is innate. When people actually stop and look at Goda and they look at the tape and they really actually watch it, they go, oh, yeah, that's right. Because it's innate. It's natural. When you look at somebody that's going to tear their knee, it don't look good. It don't look pretty. When you look at somebody moving like a Goda, it looks beautiful. It's what Michael Jordan did. It's what Ed Reed, Dion, Randy, Simone, right? These people move with a grace and a fluidity about them, and it looks good because it's innate. It's deep, deeply buried in all of us. Um, and when you go with the flow, when you go with the spiral, you get your connective tissue health back. You get your longevity back. You get to, you know, the athlete benefits, and not only the athlete benefits, but the general population benefits. The regular person who just, even, they're, not, they're not trying to be an athlete. Maybe they're a weekend warrior. They play beach volleyball. They play racquetball. They have a sport that they play. But that dude, you don't want to carry your ACL either when you're that guy. Because I know that person too. You know, I know that person who isn't a sports they're not playing sports anymore, but they still want to go out and play hoops. But they go out and play hoops and they tear their Achilles. And so those things are preventable just with some simple maintenance um, of understanding that I can rewire my, my movement pattern. And when I do that, I'm going to keep my connective tissue and joint segments safe, and I'm not going to have all this chronic pain. Yeah, no, that's all some great advice. And like I said, hopefully in the coming years, with especially with the great work you guys are doing, we'll be able to push this onto the uh, young and professional athletes and see a definite um, decrease in all these later life problems or, like you said, the big ones that people post up. Well, I'd just like to uh, thank you for coming on and uh, sharing your story and uh, a little bit of what you do now, and I'm sure uh, everyone's going to enjoy this a lot, and it was uh, great to get to talk to you. Yes, thanks for having me on, Cam. I appreciate it, man. Thank you for tuning in to the Four Verticals podcast. Make sure to drop a follow and share with all your friends. We'll see you next time.